The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 4, Grandma's Basement. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. If you've been listening to the show, then you're undoubtedly familiar with our investigative episodes where I travel to haunted places, bring my clairvoyant friend Sarah, do historical research, and offer up theories and sometimes even validation for the experiences people are having in their place of business or home. Well, tonight is something a little different. Our campfire episodes will be much like the name implies, a selected collection of personal ghost stories told by the people who experience them themselves. I'm simply gathering personal ghost stories, selecting my favorites, and curating them into collections that I'll share with you here on the second Monday of every month from now on. In tonight's campfire episode, we have a rather eerie tale told from two very different perspectives. For siblings Jessica and Genesis, what was intended to be a fun summer vacation at their grandmother's house in Kansas quickly turned into a living nightmare that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. Noises going bump in the night quickly escalated to witnessing the dogs behaving strangely around the basement stairs. Then, to one horrifying night when the girls and their grandmother were forced to drag mattresses down into the basement and attempt to sleep down there. In a moment, we'll hear from both Jessica and Genesis and what each witnessed that dreadful night in their grandma's basement. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need, specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl podcast and get $50 off your first order. Summer break. When I hear these words, vivid memories flash through my mind. Memories of my treehouse, riding my bike, building forts and obstacle courses, digging holes for no reason, eating snow cones, candy and junk food, anything I could get my hands on. And when the heat outside got too much for me, just laying inside watching cartoons or VHS tapes that I rented from the local video store. But what's interesting is when I look back at all these memories, Every single one of them, they all happened at my grandma's house. It's really hard to describe how much my grandma Garcia's house was like a second home. Not just to me, but to my younger cousins as well. I didn't have siblings being an only child, but I was the eldest of the grandkids. And as for my three younger cousins, Paul, Andrew, and Clint, we were pretty much like brothers every summer at our grandma's house. We got into a lot of trouble, had a lot of fun, and probably ate our poor grandma into poverty. But she never complained. Always had fresh tacos for us in the morning, snacks were overflowing in the pantry, and fresh homemade lunches and dinners were always on the table. Nothing, to this day, felt more like home than summers at grandma's. But in the story you're about to hear, a summer vacation for two young sisters 
visiting their grandmother in Kansas was quite the opposite experience. When they were just 13 and 8 years old, siblings Jessica and Genesis had a lot on their plate for just two kids trying to have a relaxing summer vacation. Their parents had just divorced, they'd packed up and moved from California to Arkansas with their mother, and their grandmother on their father's side had moved recently as well, to Kansas where the girl's father had relocated. And it was this particular summer that the girls would be making a long eight-hour road trip to spend the break with their grandmother in her new home in Kansas. The days were uncomfortably warm due to their grandmother's AC not working. There was this predictable tension budding between teenage Jessica and her pestering younger sister Genesis. And as usual, the girls had to navigate the strong and somewhat overbearing nature of their grandmother. But to make matters worse, there was more stirring within the walls of this house than just sibling rivalry or broken air conditioning. The girls could sense it when they first walked through the door. There was something unsettling about their grandma's new house. Something they all inherently sensed was hiding in their grandma's basement. So my name is Jessica. I am from a small town in Arkansas. And um, when I was a lot younger, I believe I was either 13 or 14 years old, I would periodically um, go from Arkansas to Kansas to come visit my grandmother. Um, her and the rest of my family lived in the southwest portion of, of Kansas in a small town. And it was just a every summer thing with my sister and I. Um, we would just go visit her and the rest of our family, including my father. And Specifically, um, this was just one of those summers that um, what actually happened to me really left an impression. So my name is Genesis. I'm Jessica's younger sister. My sister and I were actually from California, but after our parents divorced, we, my mother and the youngest, we moved to Arkansas. My dad moved to Kansas. My grandmother moved to Kansas thinking eight-hour difference is better than being almost two days from us. So every now and then, maybe two to three years, we would go to my grandmother's house and we'd stay there in Kansas. And this was our first time going to Kansas from Arkansas to that state. So it was very different for us being our first time and it being so long since we had seen our grandmother. She never really mentioned anything about the home other than the AC not working or creaks and footsteps she would hear. But she always assured us that all the noises she heard was because the house was old, putting some logic into the things that we would be hearing, trying to just ease our minds. She would always tell me that in her home, she would always just, you know, kind of hear just the normal raps, taps, creaking floors, which, you know, I personally, being the kind of person that I am, I just like to logically look at everything. And even from a small age, I always look at everything at a logical standpoint of, you know, oh, it's just because the house is old, or maybe it was a tree, or maybe it was your dog, everything like that. She would always say, she would hear kind of like walking, or she would hear just odd movements um, throughout the house. She would also tell me at one point she had left the house and then she came back 
and she found all her cabinet doors open and all her from the top and bottom and I just told her you know grandma I think you just maybe you just left them open you forgot were you doing something and I just kind of chalked it off to all of that so we got to her house just a normal a normal home with a really large basement a lot of these Kansas homes um, have basements large ones just because of where the region is at they have a large amount of tornadoes um, that hit during tornado season there. So got to the house. It was just it was normal. It was a normal home. That's what it looked like to me. I just remember the first couple of nights staying in her bedroom upstairs and staring at the popcorn ceiling and just feeling uncomfortable and feeling this heaviness in the air that made it really hard to breathe. And I remember hearing footsteps one night and I just closed my eyes and I remember my grandma telling me, it's just the echo from the other house. It's just the house. It's very old. She always tried to put some logic into anything paranormal or anything out of the normal. You know, being younger, she didn't want me being scared. You know, she didn't want me staring up to my mother saying, something's going on in my grandmother's house and I don't feel safe. So I believed it and I knew it didn't make sense to hear her say the footsteps you are hearing are the footsteps that are echoing from the neighbor's house, which to me was highly impossible. The houses aren't even connected to each other. There's no way. But I told myself, yeah, that's it. I'm not hearing actual footsteps. And so I went with that. I don't know. I think I was eight years old at the time. I didn't want to believe in ghosts. I don't want to believe in scary spirits or, or anything paranormal. I want to just be carefree and my vacation at my grandmother's house without a worry. From a young age, you know, um, just being from a, from a Spanish background and that heritage, we have a lot of um, religion. We um, go to church every Sunday and, um, and all of that. And I was just at that age where I personally didn't want to hear anything about, you know, um, church. I didn't want anything to do about it. I was just kind of frustrated because of all the situations and everything that was going on in my family from being originally from California and then having to move to just a small town in, in Arkansas and then having to travel back and forth and back and forth to visit my family was very stressful. And I just immediately gravitated towards the basement because it was just really, really cool. Um, it was really cold down there, and it was dark, and it was just, it felt holy to me, so I just kind of spent most of my summer just going down there because my grandma, she didn't like to turn on the AC, so she would just leave her windows open, and at Kansas, especially just wherever you are in that region, they have a lot of farms, so it doesn't smell very pleasant, so I would just go downstairs and just hang out while I wait for my dad or my uncle or my aunt or whoever it was to come pick me up and go do something out in town. And I remember the first couple of days that we were staying there, she told us, we'll sleep upstairs. Um, if it gets too hot, we can go into the basement and sleep there. And so to me, I mean, a basement, it's scary because it's downstairs. So I really didn't want any part about being downstairs. I was eight years old at the time, so this was 12 years ago, but I vividly remember not wanting to go down to the basement because being a kid, you're afraid of the dogs. You're afraid of going downstairs, being alone. But ever since we got to my grandmother's house, my sister 
was the one that spent the most time in the basement. She was the one that would get ready down there. She would hang out there. You know, she was, she's five years older than me, so she was 13, 14 at the time. And so she had that sense of independency, so she wanted to be alone and away from the younger, annoying sister and the overbearing grandma. And like I said, my sister, she was always the one that was down there in the basement. And I remember telling her, aren't you scared going down there? It's dark, it's creepy and dingy. Even the dogs don't like it. There was another thing. My grandmother, she had two dogs. She had a German Shepherd named Ronnie. She had another one. It was like a wiener dog mix. It was, it was spiky. And I just remember Ronnie barking down at the basement. The screen door was right in front of the steps to go down towards the basement. He would just bark and bark and bark and bark, just as if something was down there. You know, maybe he saw something. Would that dog go anywhere near those steps? No, he would not. Would the other dog? No, he wouldn't. That just brought more fear into me. And I just remember, you know, anytime I had to go down there to go get my clothes out of the dryer, I would run because you felt the heaviness. You felt like something was always behind you there. So going into the basement, just going downstairs, I mean, apart from it, of course, being the basement and it being dark, um, she had a very large living area towards the left. There was just um, a very big, creepy-looking laundry area. If you keep going down, there was the bathroom and then a room and then another room, just kind of like split into this weird kind of hallway. And towards the top, there was just these tiny windows where just some sunlight would come in just to keep it from being, I guess, too dark. I've never known what the real purpose of those windows were, but besides the point. Hanging out down there, it was always, like I stated, just substantially colder. I mean, basements, I see them, you know, being cold because they're underground and everything, but it was just really cold down there. So I would hang out down there, do my makeup, shower, sleep, take naps, write, play, etc. My grandma would always tell me, you know, you should come upstairs. You shouldn't hang out too much upstairs. It's just really creepy. And I'm just like, it's fine. It's fine. Nothing's going to happen. So one day I was actually in the restroom. I was washing my face and I had a feeling that somebody was watching me. I just had this sense that somebody was there. But at that time, I was watching a lot of ghost shows and like investigative shows so I was thinking in my head it might just be high EMF because of the exposed wires or whatever in the laundry area so I just kept on chalking it off I'm like everything has an explanation kept on doing my makeup I see somebody just kind of walk by towards the side of me into the room that was next to the bathroom which was oddly enough it was a red room it was honestly a horrible choice in, in paint and it was just it was just creepy in there just this small figure, which I kind of just chalk it off to being my sister um, walking into the room. So I didn't even bother looking to the side. I just kind of saw it out of my peripheral. And I just started talking. And I, I thought it was my sister. So I was like, hey, sis, um, yada, yada, yada. We got to get ready to go out with dad. I think that's what was going on. Never responded. I turned around, looked to my left, and nobody was there. So that was odd. Kind of just went about, finished doing my makeup and went back upstairs and asked my grandmother. I was like, hey, have you seen Genesis? I thought she was downstairs. Uh, where did she go? She was like, oh, she left with your dad like 
an hour ago. Why? And I'm like, well, I just saw somebody walk downstairs into that room. I'm like, were you downstairs? And she's like, no, nope, I've been up in the kitchen um, all day. She's like, you see somebody down there? I'm like, well, I thought I did, but it must have just been my imagination. Went about my day, um, continued to stay downstairs, still having just like that eerie feeling, just that uncomfortableness and unease. Because in my mind, I was still saying, you know, it's, everything has a logical explanation, but I could not logically explain who it was that was downstairs that walked by me and went to that room. Things would clatter and things would drop. Things would be moved, shifted to the left, just to the right. Cabinets would be open. Things that weren't explainable. I want to say my grandmother is a skeptic to a degree, but even then she couldn't give us an explanation of what was going on in that home. And I just, I didn't want to believe any of that. I remember the thing that scared me the most that she told me was that one time she was down in the basement and that she was getting ready in the bathroom downstairs and that she felt someone just getting their fingers through the top of her hair, and my grandmother has this very dark, curly hair, and she just felt it. The fingertips graze her scalp and just ever so gently pull up. She said she could feel her hair rising as their fingertips went through. She was scared. She says in that moment she did feel fear because it's like, was that? And I remember her telling me that she quickly ran her hand through her hair, thinking maybe it was a cobweb, a spider. And uh, she told me, she said out loud, with me, you do not mess with. And I was like, what do you mean? What did you mean by that? She said, well, if there's anything down here, I want them to know that they cannot mess with me. And my grandmother, she's always been very overbearing, but she's quick to put you in your, in, in your place, very strict. So she never showed fear, which I don't know how she never did, because from the moment I got to the home, I was scared. I was nervous. I was uncomfortable. So a couple of days later, it was a particularly, it was a very hot summer day. Nobody wanted to stay upstairs, so we all came upstairs, me, my sister, and my grandmother. We just laid the inflatable mattresses down and put up an alarm clock, a small TV, and, you know, getting ready for bed and everything. We went downstairs into the basement. Did I want to go sleep down there? No, I did not. I dreaded it. I remember pulling down the air mattress with my grandma, and I'm like, maybe I'll sleep upstairs. Maybe I'll stay in the room up there. My grandma was like, are you sure you want to stay up there? It's really hot. It's cooler down here, and we'll all be together. And I told her, I'm scared. And she told me, what's there to be afraid of? Dead people can't scare you. She says you should be more afraid of the living than the dead. My grandma, she likes to read her Bible every night before she goes to bed. So we were all downstairs. We got in bed. We were ready. And, you know, she just read out of her Bible. We fell asleep just a normal night. And my sister at the time, she's not as, not very religious, I would say. was not spiritually in touch with herself. I mean, not, not, I wouldn't say I was either, you know, again, being young. But I was a child and I believed what I adult had to say to me. And when an adult said something to me, I believed it. So when it was finally time for us to go to bed, I fell asleep instantly. I was so tired. Countless nights of being there and just staring at the popcorn ceiling 
and trying so hard to sleep and not being able to and finally relieving all of that deprivation, I passed out. My sister was to my bedside and I was on the left. My sister had her own mattress because she said I was a crazy sleeper, but she was also my big sister, so I wanted to be as close to her as I could. My grandmother was on the other side of Jessica on her own mattress because my grandma was very spacious. She was a very spacious person, overbearing, but spacious, push and pull. My sister was the same way. I have always been very touched, and I have always been very close to my sister. She's always been a second mother figure to me, so I needed I needed her close, especially in the big, dark, scary basement. I needed my sister's warmth, and I needed to just be close to feel safe. So the night was still quiet, up and went being upstairs, and hearing footsteps was just silent. I didn't feel anything that night other than being tired, extremely tired. And in the midst of the deep sleep cycle, I felt myself waking up because I kept hearing my sister kind of struggle, like a toss and turn, like the way someone does whenever they're having trouble falling asleep. So I thought maybe she's just uncomfortable on the mattress. So I didn't think anything to myself. So I turned to my other side so I wouldn't be facing her. And I remember her saying, she said my name. She kind of stuttered at first. So it's not like, and I could hear her making that noise. And that's when I realized, you know, she she's struggling. And I thought, oh, that she is just sleeping. She's sleep talking. She probably does that. But then suddenly, she just whoosh through her hand over my chest. It's like just so much strength. And with the quickness that I could hear her arm cut the air, as it hit my chest, I could feel her hand. And just the vibration resonate through my ribs, and I could feel it in my throat, and I just, I knew at that point she was not sleeping. She was awake, because when I turned my neck over to look at her and say, what the heck was that for? Her eyes were just, I, I, I can't even describe what was happening in that moment. I just remember her looking scared, looking very petrified. And she said, my name, help. I can't breathe. And she she could tell that she was trying so hard to get up, but she couldn't. And it was so pitch black in that room. You could not see anything. I could barely make the outline of her, but I could see her silhouette in the darkness, struggling to get up. And she said, I couldn't get up. Get grandma, please get grandma. Wake her up, wake her up. And so I start yelling. I got scared because I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And I could feel the adrenaline pumping and I could feel the tension and the air just grow. You felt it in your chest, you felt it in your throat and you felt that heaviness again that I felt when I was upstairs, that, that sense of something is wrong, something is not right. Just, it has stuck with me so vividly, and I remember this moment because I was terrified. It was my first time I had ever seen someone be attacked by something that we could not see. And I yelled at my grandma, please wake up, please wake up. Something's wrong with my sister. 
And when I said, something is wrong with my sister, that's when my grandma woke up and she sprang out of bed and she said, what's wrong? And my sister could barely sputter how anything she was being choked, being held down by something, attacked by something we could not see. And I'm like, I don't know, something's hurting her. Turn on the light, turn on the light. And I was just, I remember going into a fetal position, throwing my arms over my head and just walking back and forth. So scared out of my mind because I had no idea what was going on. I just knew something was not right. And so my grandma ran over to turn the lights on. And this is when I really started to cry and sob and scream because every time she tried to turn on the light, we did not want to turn on. And she said, I don't know why these lights are turning on. I just caught them installed. These are brand new lights. This should not be happening. And it's just on and off, on and off, on and off. And we have always been very religious people. And I just remember her yelling out a chant, some biblical chant. I wish I could remember it other than in the name of God. I remember her almost praying just with this urgency. And in that final moment when she his name, the lights turned on. And that's when I heard my sister kind of heave. She heaved because she could breathe. And she sprang up. Just her body just immediately flew forward. And she was shaking. And I just kept saying, what's wrong? What happened? What's wrong? And she said something attacked her. She did not want to be downstairs anymore. So we ran up the stairs. And I just remember sitting on the couch with her, right next to her. And I told her, what happened? Did you see something? With an innocence. And she's like, I don't want to tell you. Protecting me, being the big sister, not wanting me to be scared. But eventually she told me, as I pleaded, that she saw two people. She saw a girl, and she saw a person behind her. She didn't want to explain the person, but she says, person scared behind the little girl scared her more because she couldn't make out the faces but the person behind the little girl stretched his arm out and he was the one he she gave me that pronoun he was the one that was attacking her and now we'll hear in Jessica's own words what she experienced when she was down in the basement um, around, I believe it was maybe, I think it was about 3 a.m., 3.20, just around, around just that general time, um, I heard my mom uh, calling out for me. So I woke up immediately, looked around, listened, and I could hear my mom calling me. Now, the odd part of this is um, my mom was actually in Arkansas. She wasn't able to come up because she didn't have any vacation time. Um, and Arkansas to Kansas is an eight-hour drive. And, you know, I had just spoken to her before a couple hours before I even went to bed, and she was still home. It didn't sound like she was traveling up here or anything like that. So I started calling back. I was like, hey, Mom, where are you at? Kept looking around, didn't see anything, didn't hear anything until I turned full face forward, just front, um, in front of the alarm clock, in front of the little hallway where that red room was and the bathroom. And there was a small figure that looked to be like a a young girl, maybe around the age, about seven or eight, very pretty girl, long hair, 
and I think she was wearing a, a dress. She looked barely solid, but not solid at the same time. It's kind of like back in the day in those um, the old TVs, um, you know, before we had flat screens and fancy TVs like that. She looked kind of like, like when you're looking at a person in a TV, she looked almost holographic. Like she had like a little bit of like disturbance in like her, her image. But me being the person that I am, I looked at this girl and I asked her, I'm like, hey, what are you doing in here? How did you get into my grandma's house? She looked at me, she didn't answer. Kind of just stared at her for what felt like an eternity. And I know I sound like I'm not terrified, but I was terrified at that moment because this young girl was in my house and she looked real, but she didn't look real at the same time. So in this moment where we're just looking at each other, just me and this girl like dead on, she moved her hand and she pointed towards the wall on the right, just the wall that was right there next to what I was laying on. So I followed and I looked towards the wall and on the wall there was this very large, very large shadow, unexplainably tall, maybe good seven or eight feet. And he was almost up at the ceiling. You could see like the shape of the head and the shoulders, but it was just black, just a mass, like all the way down to the ground. It kind of looked like somebody wearing a cape. So I looked at it, panicked, but severe panic because I did not know what was in my house. I didn't know if it was a person. I just kind of looked at it and it reached out from the wall and it grabbed me by my neck and pinned me down to the bed. And at that moment, you know, my family, my sister, my, my grandmother, they were asleep. I was just kind of like flashing around and I managed to, to thrash around to where I could knocking to my sister and she woke up and I told her I'm like I can't breathe and this thing was pressing on my neck it was pressing on my chest like towards into the mattress it was pushing me in and I thought at that moment I, I literally thought that this thing whatever it was was going to take my life that it was going to kill me my sister in turn woke up my grandmother and I vaguely remember this um my sister telling my grandmother to to turn the lights on. So my grandmother got up and I could just kind of see out of the corner of my eye that she kept on moving the switch up and down, up and down, up and down, and it just would not turn on. None of the lights would turn on at all, which in turn just created more and more panic inside of me. And just the fact that I, I could not breathe. This thing was holding me down with full force. I could never see a face on it. I couldn't see hands or anything. It was just this mass that was pressing onto my chest and, and my neck. So my grandmother, um, she picks up her Bible and she, I don't know if she started to read, but I do remember that she said in Spanish, she said, La sangre de Cristo tiene poder en el nombre de Dios. Which translates to the blood of Christ as power. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And she just repeated that. And from there, I could feel the pressure coming off of me. And out of nowhere, lights turned back on. Now, take note that the lights did not want to turn on when this thing was in the room. So I got all my stuff. I ran upstairs and I stayed upstairs awake duration of the day. Um, it was towards the end of when I had to go back to Arkansas 
and I just refused to go back into that basement. I refused to be anywhere near it um, at all. Many times my grandmother would tell me just to come down and get the rest of my things. I told her I'm not going down there. I actually sent my, my stepbrother and, and my dad to go get the rest of my stuff out of the downstairs area left. And I never looked back. And I refused to look back and even think about ever walking into that basement. My sister has been traumatized from that experience. My sister was always, she's always kind of, well, I've always kind of seen her to be a seer. She's always been able to see things. And she says, she always told me that was the worst experience she had ever had. She had never been attacked. And she always tried putting logic into anything. Maybe it was just sleep paralysis. But she knew, she knew it wasn't sleep paralysis. She knew it was something else. You know, when it was time for us to leave Kansas and go back to Arkansas, it died down quite a bit. There was still that lingering in the air, in the atmosphere. I just remember the day that we left, just staring at the house and telling myself, I'll never want to go back here again. I never want to feel that. I never want to hear the footsteps. I don't want to see my sister get attacked. I don't want to feel like I'm being followed. I don't want to go through what my sister went through. I just promised I wouldn't go back into that home. And my sister didn't want to go back into my grandmother's home either. And again, I say, I don't know how my grandmother managed over another year in that house. But I remember her calling every other weekend after we left and telling us just the strange things that were going on and how she wasn't scared and she was going to put her foot down because that was her home. But with what happened to Mrs. Carey and what we heard and what we felt, she knew the house was, I hate to say the word haunted, but it's the infested because this was no playful spirit. This was something else. This was something that had the intentions to hurt you, to fool you, to trick you, to make you feel uncomfortable. It wasn't something you could brush off. It's something that stayed with you. Afterwards, maybe about a month or so, if I'm not mistaken, my grandmother called me, just her normal weekly call, and told me, hey, so you remember everything that happened downstairs? And I'm like, of course. How could I forget everything that happened? You know, that was very scarring and, and traumatizing to me because I had no explanation to what even happened in that basement. Well, she said that after I left, there was a lot of disturbance just downstairs. My grandmother just confessed to us all the strange things that were happening, every scary thing that she went through, things that were unexplainable, things she couldn't debunk herself. And she told us how the person who sold her the home asked one of her relatives if my grandmother had ever felt something, has she ever seen something? I don't know how my grandmother spent another year living in that home. I really do not. I remember her telling us the other experience, other experiences people had had there, but she always brushed them off because nothing scared her. And there was always something explainable to the unexplainable. So she went down there with a couple people from her church and just kind of did like a, like a blessing at the house and like a prayer. And when they were going through the rooms, um, in that back like room when they were going through and just kind of like blessing everything and like the closet and everything just moving stuff around they found a picture she couldn't really date it it was just a, a picture of a of a young girl 
My grandmother said that um, it was just a, just a young girl, maybe around the age of eight to ten, like a regular kid. She did mention that in this photo, the child was wearing a dress and that she had long hair, which is what I saw. And she asked me if I wanted to see it and if she wanted me to, to she wanted to mail it to me so I could just verify. And I, I absolutely refused. I did not want to look at it, but I mean, apparently there must have been a young girl in the house one day and, and I don't know how she passed, but I mean, I, I know what I saw as to what that shadow was in the room. The only thing I could talk you off to is maybe just either a bad spirit or, or bad energy. I don't really like to say demons because it's just, you know, it's just one of those soft topics like or, that's not really easy to talk about. My grandmother, in turn, moved out of that house. They never looked back. Not sure whatever happened or if anything else ever happened in that home after that blessing. But in my opinion, some things aren't explainable. Some things don't have logic behind it. And... Um, it's better to be respectful and just be wary that it's not just us in this world, that there are other planes and, and, and other things um, out there that, that don't have any, any plausible explanation. We just need to learn how to, how to understand. There are things out there that we can't explain, and that's just one situation in particular that my sister can give. I was there, and I witnessed it. I felt it. My grandma was there, and she felt it. Other people had had experiences there that they couldn't explain either. I just, in my mind, I hope that the house was truly blessed and that the feeling was gone. But even now, I know that that may or may not be true. I just know that this is something that will stay with us forever. The past always finds a way of haunting us to some degree. And for some of us, we're lucky to have fond memories that stick with us and remind us of fun times we had growing up with our families and friends. But inevitably, for some, the memories aren't so pleasant, like in Jessica and Genesis's case this one summer. But good or bad, the things we experience shape us, allow us to grow and eventually make us stronger. And I'd like to think that even though this terrifying night isn't the best of memories for these two sisters, that it at least allowed them to grow closer together as siblings, having experienced it together. Before wrapping up this campfire, I had some things I wanted to research and follow up on. Alexis, my fellow Night Out team member and old friend, has many years' experience researching the occult sciences and parapsychology, so I wanted to hear his thoughts on the story, especially the dark entity that Jessica saw in her grandmother's basement. I mean, the thing about basements is they are closer to the ground. Or because they literally are underground. In a lot of the traditions, the ground is where spirits come from. In a lot of traditions, the reason that we bury our dead in the ground, you know, is because we believe that spirits come from the ground. So in even in Mexico and in places in Africa, they would bury their dead in the house, but under the ground, because it was a way to connect to their ancestors and connect to their spirits, is keeping them close by. So in basements in general usually have a creepy feeling because they're dark and dank and creepy but at the same time they're also so close to the earth and the earth is where spirits can come from especially malevolent spirits and darker spirits and untamed spirits if you will like we were talking about demons essentially demons are beings that have never been human 
So essentially, they're extremely powerful spirits. Now, Christianity also sees them as beings from hell, and that's mainly because if a devil does exist, if there is a devil, a devil would definitely have dominion over very powerful spirits. As for demons masquerading as other forces, that's quite common because demons are known to take the shape of the things you most fear or the things that you trust could be pretending to be your friend, pretending to be another image, essentially something that it can gain your trust. Everything in the spiritual world exists on the same plane. So if a spirit sees a demon and is trying to warn somebody, they can point them out and be like, that's a demon. There are cases where spirits who are being tortured, in a sense, by the demons are trying to warn families or warn people about the demons in the house, specifically because they know that if they put them out of danger, it can elevate them as spirits. So a spirit who essentially is not fully elevated, is trapped on this plane, helps somebody on our plane can elevate themselves just by helping that family. So in that situation, if there was a little girl in the house, a girl could try to help them discover where the demon is hiding in the house. One last thing about this story interested me. Jessica was so bothered by the incident that she tried to chalk up what she saw to sleep paralysis. I'd done some research on the subject matter in the past, but I wanted to know, from a medical standpoint, what sleep paralysis actually is and if it could be a valid explanation for what Jessica experienced. So my name is Luke Freebertauser. I'm an emergency physician based in Austin, Texas. So speaking about sleep paralysis, this is a condition that is part of the, the overarching set of clinical syndromes called parasomnias, which are essentially a variety of problems that can arise during sleep. Sleep paralysis, as it's understood by the medical community, is it's a condition that happens where REM sleep, REM sleep, stands for rapid eye movement sleep, sort of merges with wakefulness. REM sleep is, is when vivid dreaming is happening. So to kind of just go through some of the science behind, behind sleep, there's REM sleep and non-REM sleep. Non-REM sleep, there's several stages. Don't really need to go into it. But REM sleep is uh, a very interesting thing. It's sort of unique to mammals. And it's where the, the brain is sort of activated like it is when you're awake. However, everything's very discombobulated. Your, your brain's firing in a very strange way. And it's, it's also um, associated with sort of a complete dysregulation of your body's function. So your body temperature and heart rate and breathing is kind of irregular during this part of sleep. And your body's totally paralyzed. You have no physical control over your body. When people experience sleep paralysis, this stage of sleep is extending into your wakefulness. So sort of these two very different things are happening in your brain at the same time, where you're becoming aware of your surroundings but you also have no control of your body and the parts of your brain are, are asleep and, and are firing in very disconnected ways. There's a lot of um, very interesting hallucinations that people have during sleep paralysis. There's some themes of the hallucinations that people have, which is, which is kind of interesting. A lot of people do experience sensation of an intruder being near them uh, or a sensation of being strangled or, or pressed down. There's, there's historical accounts going back you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of people having these sorts of experiences and then trying to explain them in various ways. And there's even some thoughts that a lot of paranormal and alien abduction sort of stories originate from sleep paralysis. Some of the themes of this story from the case you're working on is even sound like they're similar to sleep paralysis. Some of the hallucinations that people have in sleep paralysis kind of correlate with what was going on in that account, I think, in, in some ways. However, 
sleep paralysis is really associated with a, a total body paralysis. So it would be an inability to speak. It would be an inability to move. That part of it doesn't really fit as well. When you are in REM sleep, you can't move your body. You can't speak. So, you know, in this case, it sounds like there's an account of this, this person being able to move and being able to interact and speak. And that doesn't really jive with sleep paralysis in that those shouldn't be happening. This person should be totally laying still in bed, unable to move or speak, and experiencing this sort of on their own for usually it's one to two minutes until they, they essentially REM sleep fades and they regain muscular control and can, you know, can speak and move. And although people tend to remember these episodes for years and years after they happen, um, they can be quite traumatic. Um, they certainly can't move when they're, when they're happening, and that's, that's one of the kind of defining uh, aspects of these things. The fact that this person was, was moving and talking at, at the time that they're experiencing this and, and other people you know, saw them moving and reacting to something, that, that part of it really doesn't fit. As with all my cases and episodes on this show, I love to leave you listeners with the choice of deciding whether or not you believe the story you just heard was actually something paranormal or if there is a rational explanation for the things that were witnessed and experienced. And although sleep paralysis is a convenient scapegoat oftentimes used to explain away paranormal experiences, such as what happened to Jessica that unforgettable summer, in this particular case, even from the mouth of a medical practitioner, it just doesn't seem to fit. Thanks for listening to Campfire Episode 4. If you're enjoying these campfire tales, Please help us keep them going by sharing your personal ghost stories with us. Since we're a fairly new independent podcast, we don't quite have the enormous audience reach yet to garner an overflowing inbox of phenomenal ghost stories. So we need your help. You yourself submit a story that you have and tell anyone you know who has a great ghost story to share it with us by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com and click on the Submit Your Story tab. We'd greatly appreciate it. I'd like to thank my team, Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me, Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show, and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash thenightowlpodcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl Podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcast or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T worksound.com and get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.